What is crack a lackin', Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Pavalli coming at you once more without my fantabulous co host, Adam Frommel. The team look ahead train is rolling on. The Portland Trailblazers are up next. And so, longtime listeners of this podcast know that we have to bring back Carabone Biggs to break down everything about them the offseason, what to expect from the regular season, some long term stuff with CJ and, and Dame. Great conversation, as always. Follow her on Twitter, as always, at T-C-B-B-I-G-G-S. That's at T-C-B-B-I-G-G-S. Tara hosts two podcasts. She's the co-host of the We Have a Take podcast. That is one that I listen to regularly. Try to listen to as much as possible. Anyway, they're a breath of fresh air. They talk a lot of Blazers basketball, but there's also stuff like finding out about Norman Powell's puppies and then semi-recently a dramatic reading of Marquise Chris's Wikipedia page. That's that's the shit. That's the escapism stuff that we need. She also is a co-host of the Step Back Sisters podcast. Follow them on Twitter at Step Back Sisters, and you can follow We Have a Take at We Have a Take. All of those are spelled exactly as they sound. Before I dive into my great conversation with Tara, just our usual reminders. Please, please, pretty please, continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us wherever you get your podcast. Those all help us out a ton. Downloading every episode. If this is your first time listening to the Hardware Knox podcast because you're a huge Carabone Bigs fan or you're just a huge Blazers fan or you have happened upon us by accident, consider throwing us that permanent subscription, listening to our episodes. We do try to do a great job covering the, the league at large. And I think the final product ends up being pleasantly sub mediocre and only mildly insufferable. So how's that for an endorsement? You can get at us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. We are also on YouTube, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come right up. Uh, we are on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. And whether you use iTunes or not, so long as you have access to it, we ask that you just head over there, search Hardwood Knox, throw us a five-star rating, and also write a review. The review can include criticism, whatever you want to say, so long as we get the five-star rating and the review. Those just help us out a ton more than maybe perhaps you understand or know. So head over to iTunes now. It takes 10 seconds to do it. With all of those housekeeping notes and please out of the way, let's get to talking some Portland Trailblazers with the esteemed, the amazing Tara Bowen Biggs. Tara, thank you so much for coming back on the Hardwood Knox podcast. You are now tied with Caitlin Cooper for the second most guest appearances on Hardwood Knox. Not a title that I think you should be proud of, but you are high up in the standings. So once more, I, please go ahead. I am like more than honored to be tied with Caitlin Cooper for that title because she is amazing. I love listening to her talk and um, I love being on your podcast and I appreciate every time and every time you ask me to be on, I'm like, you can ask somebody else. <laughs> and you're always yeah, so you're trying to get out of it. I can sense it. Like Tara doesn't want to come on. No, this no, I, I love it. It's great for me. So I love it. And uh, yeah, to be like in the same sentence with Caitlin Cooper is just awesome. Makes me feel great. Good way to start the day. Well, I think most importantly, before we talk more Blazers, which is why you're here, is how have you been? I've been really good. I had last night an experience, which I just was one of my favorite things in the world, which is to meet a Twitter friend in person. And I just, I absolutely love it because like, if, if we don't seek out like actual 
you know, human interaction <laughs> from all the stuff that we do on Twitter. It's like, what are we even doing? And, you know, for me, like the last 18 months with the pandemic and everything, like so much of my social life has happened on Twitter. And now that people are moving about the country, it just thrills me to like, get to like, look in the eyes of somebody that I've been chatting with and um, having conversations with on Twitter. So I'm in a really great mood today because I got to meet somebody that I had never met before. Although I feel like I've known him for a long time. <laughs> And then you got to deliver a threat on his behalf. Hey, so that's even better. <laughs> yes, yes. I was uh, snotty dripping, so I did not meet him in Temecula. Everybody wanted to know if I met him in Temecula. And it's so funny because, of course, every time you think about Temecula, you think about snotty dripping and that drama. Uh, it's amazing drama. the staying power <laughs> of that entire situation. It, it really is. So, um, no, met up and, uh, you know, came to Portland and, you know, said it on Twitter. And I just pounced and I was like, let's meet up. And, you know, I can't wait. Dan, until the day where I get to meet you and I get to like come to your city and meet you in person. It's just, it's just so much fun. Like for me, basketball is kind of like the mechanism by which I like establish relationships like all across the world. And it's mm -hmm. the coolest thing. And like I said, if like, I'm not following up on that, then like, what am I even doing? Right. Um, yes, I do hope we get to meet in person at some point. Um, hopefully the world will be less on fire at that at that time as well. Uh, the second question I had, though, is which have you prepared a dramatic reading for us at all for this podcast today? Oh, I could if you would like one. I think you're uh, you're uh, referring to my dramatic reading of Marquise Chris's Wikipedia page, which so I have this thing for people who clearly have somebody who loves them who curate their Wikipedia page, because every once in a while you'll find a Wikipedia page that is just so obviously written by somebody there's especially like with that basketball fans who aren't just like listing the stats and like they went to high school here and then they went to, you know, mm -hmm. uh, college here and here's their stats. So I love it when somebody like puts in all these little details. And when Marquise Chris was invited to training camp, I went to his Wikipedia page and just like, oh, it was, I don't know who it was written by, but there was a lot of really wonderful references to his mom and, and uh, some of the things that he'd overcome, like learning how to not, um, let's see what was, I can't remember what the phrase was, but it was like, no, not unnecessarily fouling and I was like oh my gosh that is the best thing ever so I did do a dramatic reading of it on my podcast and I so appreciate that you listened and that you appreciated it as much as I did that made me smile I was coming at it a few, I saw so that's how you promoted the podcast the we have a take podcast I plugged it in the intro everyone go follow them check them out they are a breath of fresh air trust me um but I had listened to it a few days after because you promoted as we have this dramatic reading of Marquise Chris's Wikipedia page and I'm like holy shit, like I need to see this. And I'm just like, my grin is going like ear to ear the entire time I'm listening to this. Cause I could picture you saying it and reading it. And then the take about like, oh, his mom might've written this. Um, just absolutely spectacular. That's the type of content that we need more of in my, in my opinion. You know, we definitely got weird this off season and we felt like this, if we were ever going to get weird, this was the off season to get weird. So like one of my other favorite podcasts that we did this off season was what if free agency was run like the bachelor. And <laughs> we had so much fun with that, like figuring out like what the rules would be and like who would be the bachelor. So the, the setup is that like, um, every free agent, like invite, like 
for every free agent, each team who is interested in them sends a representative and then they have to talk to them. They have to fight it out and they have to do like mud wrestling and, you know, play embarrassing games. And then they get to like take them on a quasi, you know, dates in order to like discuss like what their position would be. So we had a lot of fun with the what if NBA free agency was more like The Bachelor? And now, like, in my brain, like, I'm like, why is that not happening? That is the type of creative ingenuity that you can expect at the We Have a Take podcast. So go <laughs> check Tara out over there. Uh, as you said, you got weird this offseason. The Blazers didn't get so weird this offseason when you move. You know, we had talked just after they hired Chauncey Billups. And so now we have actual on-court moves to look at. Um, what was, as we headed closer to the regular season, what are you thinking about from the off season? Anything that stands out in particular, any of the moves that you like, dislike, just anything at all from this off season related to the Blazers that you're still thinking about? So this off season was in my mind, the Blazers got better, at least the concept of the things that they did. I do think they got better and there was so much chatter about, you know, bringing in the big third star and you know, what Damien was going to do and da, 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 da. And, you know, obviously Ben Simmons is not in Portland um, and any other star whose name was, was brought up. But I think that the moves that they made that especially improve the bench, I think they're going to make the Blazers better. And one of the things that I'm trying to do is like temper my expectations because I love the idea of what Larry Nance could bring to yes. the LGBT. second unit or just to, to the Blazers. I love what, but I also was super excited about the concept of Mario Hazonia. So I'm trying to temper my expectations. <laughs> um, but I just, I feel like they have um, made some moves that will solidify the bench because it used to be like when the bench came on we just all sort of held our breath and we're like if everybody's hitting and scoring then it's not going to be a problem tonight but if people's shots are not falling then it's going to be real rough night every time Damian or CJ sits down if it makes you feel any better we have actual evidence unlike Mario Hazonia that Larry Nance Jr. is good when he's healthy so you I feel like you can get more excited about that I thought that was uh, we had actually talked about Larry Nance Jr. when he came on the podcast last time when we, when we were talking about Blazers trade candidates. I think it's a great fit, um, bordering on perfect. And all the things that you just said, I, I I would just agree with. And I also what I think he brings is some more lineup optionality for them if they want to go a little bit different when Nurk isn't on the floor, but you still want to play Dame and CJ together. So uh, I, if I'm where I'm at, and if is is if he's healthy, I think he ends up being like a really big addition for the Blazers. Where no, this wasn't the offseason where they got a star, but Larry Nash Jr. is really good. And based off how they defended with Yusuf Nurkic on the court for much of last season, now if we're able to bridge the minutes without Nurkic a little bit better with the one of the primary front court players, I do think you know there's there is nowhere to go but up basically for this defense relative to last season. But I think Larry Nash Jr. makes way more of an impact than people are talking about just because it wasn't one of the moves that was like, you know, kaboom or like that. It wasn't the star that everyone thought the Blazers needed to acquire. Yeah. And two things about Larry Nance, one on offense and one on defense. One of the things that I, and this is why I kind of likened him to the Mario Hazonia experience is because, you know, we were presented with the potential for Mario to be a facilitator because that's, you know, he likes to, you know, somebody said along the way <laughs> that he was going to, uh, you know, he'd like to have the ball in his hands in order, you know, to facilitate and create that he could do that sometimes for others. And, um, but one of the things I really like about 
Larry Nance and why I'm excited about him on offense is he's talked a lot about how he loves soccer and he's a soccer player. And to me, one of the things that I enjoy watching about guys who are really, really into soccer is basketball is about executing a series of plays in an, you know, order that makes sense and being able to call the plays and, you know, figure out what you want to do during the middle of the game and soccer, you know, because there's, you don't have timeouts, you just have to go, 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 go. You're creating as you go along. And from like the highlights that I've watched of Larry Nance, he seems like the kind of guy who's just really great at like creating as he goes along. He can also execute plays, but he has sort of that like center center midfielder, like Mm. vibe to him where he's like, can pull out things that you weren't expecting because he could, he he's looking at the, at the whole court and the, you know, the totality of the game, in addition to like knowing what the plays are and everything. So I'm excited about his potential as a facilitator because last year, and it, you know, he's, it's not like he's, you know, out has outrageous, like assist numbers, but you watch him and, you know, he has little, a variety of different types of pass to give other people uh, the opportunity to score. And last season, with um mellow and canter as you know the the two forwards on the uh on the bench unit that's when i started to understand the difference between passing because you don't have a shot and actually facilitating and i think that there might be more you know they're they want Anthony Simons to take more of a role in facilitating that offense. But I think having other guys who also do the same thing is going to be better for everybody on the bench. So that's like offensively. And then just defensively in combination with Cody Zeller, you know, if, if like, again, if the bench can just not just let points be scored on them for their shifts. And it just seems like so much more likely that we have, um, you know, center big guys who can do that off the bench right now. Yeah. I offense, he would excite me there too, but for what they do on defense, like he gives you just protection on the perimeter and also just, he's not the best rim protector, but if they wanted to run a lineup with him as a bigger guy, uh, he does, he's just so good at anticipating when he's even sort of pulled outside the paint on defense. And I think if there are lineups with him and Covington together, and maybe it's not, you know, when Dame sits or it's bench heavy units, maybe they're not the best offensive team, which would make sense if you don't have Dame in the lineup, but it feels like now they're just more built. Like they could have some really stingy bench heavy defensive units. It looks like they did do other stuff aside from Larry Nance jr. They have guys like Patterson and Dennis Smith jr. On training camp deals. They signed, as you mentioned, Cody Zeller, uh, Ben McLemore, uh, Tony Snell. And so I'm just curious as to who you thought was the best addition of that bunch of the non Larry Nance division or who you expect to have the biggest impact or play the biggest role out of all of them. Well, I think it'll, the person who's going to have the biggest impact of those, the rest of them you mentioned is Cody Zeller because he's the only backup center <laughs> unless they decide to sign Marquise Chris, but like Cody Zeller is the only tall, you know, the very tall backup center. So I think he's going to make a big impact, but I'm really curious to see if Tony Snell or Ben McElmore find really finds a spot and really uh, excels here in Portland. Cause I think there is potential for one of them to work their way into into the regular lineup i mean they have it, it's kind of hard to figure out i mean like the whole it's kind of hard to figure out who's not going to play mm-hmm. except for you know the 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 rookies or whatever but um i i kind of feel like either one of ben mclemore or tony snell is really going to have a good good year but i just in terms of just who's 
who's going to have the biggest and most obvious. It's I think Cody Zeller. Yeah, he is the only backup five. So you're right there. And he's been like a a plus minus darling for years when he's healthy, which has been not so much. Uh, I'm still very tantalized by Tony Snell or maybe the idea of Tony Snell where it's like, okay, someone who can hold up individually on defense, not against the toughest wing assignments. And he hits threes at a high clip. I think he's probably going to need to be a little bit more willing to uncork jump shots in Portland's offense. If, if he wants to stay on the floor there, otherwise I think someone like Ben McLemore, not as good defensively when you play with Dame and CJ and they're going to, or even Larry Nance jr. Now and, and Nurk, if he's passing out on the short roll, whatever lineup you're in, like you need to make those decisions when you're open and that's never, he'll knock down those shots, but he seems very reluctant to take them. You know, I know, you know how much I loved Alpha Rukaminu while he was on the Blazers and I've been watching Tony Snell drives because <laughs> I was like, I wonder what his handle is like. And let's, there was, there were some moments where I was like, um, well, you know me, I love chaos. And so he just reminded me a little bit of Alpha Rukaminu. And I think it could be really fun. And like that's why I said, like, I think one of those guys is really gonna find the the their place here. Like they might find like a role that fits their style and that is complementary to what the Blazers need. And I kind of have my I kind of think Tony Snell's gonna be my new like favorite player that I just like go crazy for whenever he comes in and I'm really excited about partly because of the potential for chaos and, you know, just his, you know, his zero, 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 zero game in 17 minutes, which was incredible that anybody could pull off that amazing feat. Also no two turnovers, not only no points, no assists, no fouls, also no turnovers, I will say. Um, so I just think that he has the potential for just entertainment value. And for me, just like enjoying who he is and cheering for him. I think Tony Snell is going to be my new Alpha Rukamino type <laughs> uh, player to watch. So we exit the offseason. I think as most expected, nothing happens with Damian Lillard. Uh, if I said anything, I would say his his comments after the wedding have been just almost encouraging, uh, like sort of a 180 from where we were at entering the offseason when everything was just a little bit fresh. Uh, does that give you confidence at least that nothing will happen in the middle of the season because of how drastic a move that would be? And But how do you feel about the Dame situation also beyond just this season, though? So as far as Damian Lillard is concerned, I feel confident that he's going to be here at, at least through this season. The thing about watching Damian Lillard all of these years and just not just his basketball, but everything else that he does, Damian is a storyteller. You know, he's a rapper. He writes lyrics. He tells stories. Even if you follow, you know, his social media accounts, you know, I, I'll keep going back to that year where he posted that hilarious video of what he did in the off season uh, that, you know, that had like the guys hitting him with the pool noodles and doing all these crazy things. I and, do like, not remember that. He did that because, he, oh, it was so funny. He was dressed in a cape and goggles <laughs> and they were hitting him with pool noodles and they were having him do all these like super ridiculous things. And that was his off season workout video. But he was telling a story. He was being funny. He was like, you all are like complaining because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Here you go. Damon's story in Portland is not over. And it would be very uncharacteristic from what I've observed of him were he to just leave in the middle of the season or just leave before he's seen it through. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean I think he's, you know, going to stay here for the entire length of his contract if things don't go the way that he wants them to go. But to me, to me, his story is not over in Portland and he's going to see it out. 
And I think the more interesting question about Damian Lillard now that we've all talked all summer long about whether or not he was going to ask for a trade and everybody wanted him and blah, 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 blah. I think the more interesting thing is without coach Stotts, we're going to learn a lot more about Damian Lillard because coach Stotts was his only NBA coach. They were together for nine years. And for the last few years, things have looked very similar. They've play the same type of basketball. And we're going to find out really quick how much of that was Stotts, how much of it was Damian Lillard, what of it was both. So I'm super curious, like half of a season is not nearly enough time to decide whether or not things are going to, you know, how things are going to go with when he, when he has a new coach. So I'm super curious to see how how or if the game is going to change so that we can figure out how much of their, so like, the characteristics of a Blazers team for the last several years are really easy to name. <laughs> they don't move the ball very much. Right. They don't run around very much. They don't get assists. They don't take corner threes and they don't dunk like all of those things. They were like on the bottom of the league in terms of how often they did those things way up there in isolation. Right. So I'm super curious to see how many of the, how much of the way they play was predicated on what worked for Damian Lillard and how much of it was on stats. And I'm just really curious to see art. We've heard a lot about there's going to be more ball movement. Okay. So does that just mean they're going to have more movement than, than they did? Or does that mean they're going to go up in like in relation to all of the rest of the, the teams, are they going to have more cutting? Are they going to corner threes they have some really great they went out and got some really great corner three shooters norman powell is an elite corner three shooter mm. and some of the other guys that they've got too so are they gonna actually use that corner three <laughs> um so i'm i'm just super curious to see now that we know damien is here for this season and we have a new coach in place how how the look of the team is going to change yeah, I'd be very curious too, and I get wanting to have some offensive variance, but then like you look at what Damian Lillard does, and I'm more interested to see like you mentioned it. What can get going off the ball more? Because I don't ever, I know he can, I know Dame can do stuff off the ball. I don't ever want the ball out of that guy's hands. Um, it's like when people are when people are talking about how Russ and LeBron are going to fit with the Lakers. But what if LeBron plays off the the ball a little bit more? And in my mind, the answer is never less of LeBron James. That like that's never the answer to this. Um, but I'm fascinated to see how they're going to be run. And I agree with on every point you hit. I would not have, I, I guess it's not even confidence. I don't have a feel for what would happen beyond this season, especially after how we entered the off season with Damian Lillard. But there's like a sub 0% chance in my mind that this ends poorly during the regular season, because he would have to reach James Harden levels of agitation, or I guess, do we call it the Ben Simmons now? And he's just not going to do that. And so Next offseason, whatever, I think this season's big to want to keep him in Portland long-term, but it always felt like a long shot anything would happen this summer. And I think if you're Blazer, if you're the Blazers organization, if you're the fans, knowing even if he was just on the roster and wasn't saying, you know, um, whatever it was at media day where he was just like, this is the type of person I am and I have to recognize it. Like I basically that he, he endorsed that he wanted to be there, that he wanted to win in Portland. Um, even if he hadn't said that, you have to feel, I would think, super confident. You at least have him for another season. And the fact that the roster improved – and the West is wide open, and we'll get to that at the end, obviously. I wouldn't predict the Blazers to win a title, but this is a very anything-can-happen type year. At least that's what it feels like. And so I'm with you on every point. I just don't have, and I don't think anybody does, 
the feel for what would happen beyond this season with him because of, you know, I would see the time left on his contract normally and be like, no, you, you have another year, after two years of Dame of this at least. But just because of what happened at the start of this offseason, I'm like, all right, well, I won't make any predictions beyond this year, but I think I would I would be flabbergasted if Damian Lillard did not finish the year on the Portland Trailblazer roster. I also just don't – I'm not an advocate of making those moves midseason. That just seems like a very tough decision for everyone involved to make. Damian Lillard, the Blazers, yada, yada, yada. Things would have to go so far off the rails – for that to happen. And it just, it, it just makes no sense <laughs> to me. And I just, I'm, I'm confident that he is here and he's here for a while, because like I said, like he wants to do it his way. And this is his way. His way is not leaving. His way is hanging on and clinging as long as he possibly can and bringing all of his guys along with it. I think and this is like just from observation and it, maybe it reflects more like what I was thinking, but, you know, going back to when, you know, the Blazers were doing well and then Nurkic went down, broke his leg. And then the next season that happened after that was just kind of like waiting time, wait for Nurkic to get back. And I was thinking as soon as Nurkic gets back, they're just going to pick right up and they're just going to charge full speed ahead. And that it would just be like really easy. And I think they came back and they like went back to like, they they all came back and I think it looked like they didn't, they didn't try to continue. They, they were, I don't want to say, I don't, I, I, they, that they um, just figured everything was going to go back to normal because I don't know what was in their heads, but it looked to me like they figured they were going to get Nurkic back and everything was going to be great. And they just, it wasn't as obviously it took a while to reintegrate him back in there. And so I think they were caught off guard that it was harder than they thought it was going to be because they remembered how it felt. They remembered what it was like. They remembered how good they were when he was just really clicking. And so they're like, all we got to do is wait for him to get back and everything's going to be great. And, you know, for various reasons, injuries, things like that, it didn't happen. And so I think at the end of the year, I think they were, what I heard in Damien's remarks at the end of the year the what was different about them is usually he just blames himself for everything he just like it was on me you know it was on me and I, I felt in in his remarks at the end of this season he kind of was looking around the whole organization and we, we were like we all kind of like let each other down that's what it sounded like to me which was different and so I think getting a new coach in there you know when there's when there's new new players come in every year but a new coach is really going to have to make them all stand up and pay attention and figure out what's going on. And I think it's going to be a really good thing for them. We've talked a lot about CJ McCollum in the past and this, this off season entering it, you were more open to the idea of the Blazers moving CJ McCollum than I'd ever heard you say before. And I'm wondering if that's the off season's over. And I think there are two elements to this is where do you sort of land on that issue now? But the second layer is, Assuming there's even a star market, whether it's Ben Simmons straight up or something or another player that you think would really help the Blazers, do you still feel that same way knowing that then this move is all of a sudden made in the middle of the year? Because as I mentioned with Damian Lillard, I don't think it's an easy decision to be like, we need to pivot into this rebuild now in the middle of the season if you're a team like the Blazers. I also don't think it's an easy decision to be like, people look at these rosters and yeah, sometimes it's a no-brainer with the Nets and James Harden, but now you, if, if you were to make a deal, the player that you're acquiring, you didn't get a training camp with them. Your practice time isn't going to be like super extensive during the middle of the year. It's a culture change for you. And now it's just, it's also more upheaval in this case because of how long Dame and CJ have been together. Like this is 
you know, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Clay, Steph type shit, where they've just been together for so long that that's just such a substantial change. And while from the talent, callous business perspective, I could sit here and go, yeah, if you have the opportunity to get a player who's a better fit or can make more of an impact than CJ McCollum, you absolutely do it. It's just so much easier for me to say to do that during the off season than it would be in the middle of a regular season where I would argue the conclusion of it is mission critical to what happens with Damian Lillard moving forward. Yes, I feel like I'm more open to the possibility that CJ may be traded than I have been in the past. And partly is because of CJ himself. I've listened to him talk enough about how he understands that it's a business and that he's prepared for it. And he hears people talk about trading him all the time and it doesn't you know, hurt his feelings or anything like that. So part of it was just like hearing from CJ that he's like, I understand like people think, you know, people want, love this team and they want to get better. And, you know, he's a big fan of the Browns and he's had conversations about trading his friends who were on the Browns. He's like, I get it. I, I understand. But again, I feel like things would re- either have to really completely fall off the rails. Like it's not working with the coach at all. And the team is just all standing around looking at they're like, like, what are we doing? Um, you know, I think things that have to get real bad or something like suddenly Anthony Simons is everything that Neil Olshay said that he was going to be when he drafted it and said, this is the best athlete I've ever drafted in my entire lifetime. So that's, you know, that's a distinct possibility, maybe that they, you know, CJ becomes redundant, redundant, redundant. Um, because that's what's been said about CJ this whole time is that he's redundant to Dame and now Norman Powell came and now CJ is more tradable than ever. And like, now we have Norman Powell and Anthony Simon. So CJ is even more, more tradable than ever. Is it possible to be that take seems correct. And then incorrect at the same time, because it's like, yeah, in theory, Norman Powell is just a similar size. He's going to do more for you on defense, but CJ McCollum's shot creation in the playoffs that is so much more valuable like in the, than it is in the regular season. And to have two players like him and Dame, there, one, there's not like a ton of redundancy to their game. Every team has two or every great team seems to have these two high level, level scores. And I would argue that you honestly need a number two like CJ in the playoffs or maybe not need, but he's more useful to you in a playoff series than a Norman Powell. That's where I would stand. But I also get the theory like, well, you just paid Norman Powell $90 million and you know how many dudes under 6'4 are you actually going to pay? But it's just, I... I've long pushed back against the argument that CJ is just so redundant on this roster because I don't think that he is. I think he's, and we've talked about this like for years now. Right. The other thing is, is CJ at the beginning of last season was amazing. He came out at the beginning of last season and everybody was like, their eyes were just huge going, holy smokes, look what he's doing. He added more three-point shots and was hitting him at a high rate cj was just out of this world at the beginning of last season and you know hard to know whether or not he's going to come back to that level but he was making the blazers better a lot last season uh, before he went down and got injured he struggled a little bit coming back but still struggling is like still more than 20 points a game right i think that the more scores you have the better the blazers you know went hard in on the three guard lineup And now how many people, how many other teams around the league are going hard with the three guard lineup? Maybe it's time for the four guard lineup. I kind of thought that the fourth guard might be like six ten, and might be like Ben Simmons, (laughs) but I know obviously I'm joking, but 
yes, having guys who can create their shots is just so valuable. And when you have them both, when you always have two guys in at the same time and you have to guard, that's helpful. (laughs) That's, that's a good thing. I've never really felt like, like CJ was redundant. He, you know, he plays in a different way than Dame, you know, he, he's so fun to watch. (laughs) He sometimes, sometimes CJ is the one, like, obviously Dame, when he's hitting those ridiculously long shots, it like totally gets, you know, the crowd going and, you know, but sometimes when CJ does those dance and he puts like Dirk Nowitzki in the spin cycle, like he can really also get that energy up and get everybody. And plus he's a little bit of a kind of a cad, you know, he'll, he'll like trash talk on the field. Like Damien always keeps like such a like blank aspect. Sometimes it's CJ's the one who's going off and he's John at the other guys. Like in that way, I think, you know, there's more ways than, you know, just the part of the, of the field that they're shooting from where they complement each other. And I, I love it when like CJ is like trolling players on the other team, like, cause Damon never do that. Damon will just look at you in the face and like hit a three pointer, but CJ will get in your ear and you know, he's saying something creative. Yeah. Dame only does it like inside three minutes to play with the game on the line. It's like when he unleashes that side. And just to reiterate what you were saying about CJ before I should this question, the first, it was, it was, it was 12 games into the season. He got injured in game number 13. I believe he was essentially averaging 28 points, five assists, shooting 43.4% from three on a lot of off the dribble threes. Like these weren't just him upping his three point volume on standstill. Like he was hitting tough threes higher than 50% on twos. He was he was in the all-star discussion, which to be in the guard all-star discussion in the Western conference is very difficult. Even in a year where Clay Thompson isn't playing like that's just, it's super hard. So I pretty much land everywhere with you. And that's not even someone who's a Blazers fan. I just, at this point, I don't, and I think it matters, you know, the market, it has to make sense for the player that's coming in. I'm just not a big fan of that type of upheaval in the middle of the season is sort of where, where I land. I do have questions about actual basketball for you though. I promise this wasn't just a trade podcast. Um, Is there any lingering concerns about what Yusuf Nurkic said at the end of last year about how he needed to be more involved on offense? And do you see a pathway to that happening or, or this is an out there theory is his path to being more involved, just actually being more available and on the court. I am hoping for wonderfully wonderful health for Nurkic because it has been an issue for him. It's been hard for him to uh, stay healthy for an entire season. I'm also hoping for time with the coach that helps him figure out how to not foul unnecessarily. This is a quote from Marquise Chris's uh, Wikipedia page. And I was like, that's exactly what somebody needs to work with Nurkic on because it was so hard to watch him get in there and play really well, but get so many fouls that he, that he's not on the floor and he's not available at key parts of the game. So I think he could potentially be involved a lot more if he's able to stay on the court because he's figured out how to not get called for so many fouls. And, uh, that's a lot of that is up to him. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to, uh, there's been a lot of reporting in Portland about how well Nurkic is responding to the new coach. And he really likes everything that the new coach has told him about what he's going to do with him, what his role. He's talked a lot about using him on the elbow more using him as a facilitator and, you know, great. As long as he can stay on the court, <laughs> I think that's awesome. Cause everybody knows that when Nurkic is available and he is dialed in, the team is really great. But if he gets three quick fouls, 
it's real hard to know like what the rest of the game is going to, going to be like. I had this whole theory that if he, sometimes when he plays with four fouls, he actually plays better because he knows that he has to watch out for getting that last foul. But like, that doesn't mean just go out and get four fouls <laughs> so that you know what you're doing. So if he can stay out of foul trouble, I can see, you know, a real, um, you know, a real advantage to having him. In, uh, and the other thing is, is one of the things that the new coaches talked about and what people have talked about is something that the Clippers really talked about a lot, which is their drive kick swing. Mm-hmm. And I think Blazers have, have been doing a lot of drive kick. They haven't done a lot of drive kick swing. I don't think that Nurkic is going to be out there and available on the three-point line. At least I hope that's not what the plan is because, you know, we need him more in the middle. But if he can help them remember that and he can help them make that happen, I think that would bode really well for the Blazers. Nurkic always seems to do well when he has sort of like a clear, like a leadership job. Like he was playing so well when you could tell he and Mo Harkless were working together a lot. And like Mo Harkless would be sort of up and down and you would see Nurkic go over there and like, you know, talk to Mo and get in his face. And when, when Nurkic has a job to do, he really, he really does it. And I just think last year it was like, Nurkic is going to be back. Just let him go back and do his regular thing without like a solid, like, no, this is the thing we mean (laughs) for you to be doing. And so I'm hoping with the, with the new coach and with the new, you know, potential to be more of a facilitator, we're going to find more, you know, uh, reps for you on, on the elbow. I, I have a lot of, hopes but for me the biggest thing is just stay out of foul trouble yeah and what's interesting with him when you mentioned the foul trouble is there are yeah i don't know they seem a lot of them see like frustration fouls where it's like if he gets a call that he doesn't like maybe it's like a good contest and they call it a foul it feels like he's exponentially more likely to get an offensive foul or something within the next like three or four possessions or make a a bad defensive risk and the other thing i don't know whether you agree with this is that I sometimes wonder if he doesn't trust the Blazers defense behind him because of sort of the decisions he makes. Like if someone gets a step on him, it's like he almost just wants to stop the play rather than trust that the help is going to come. But if he could limit his house, because he is so important. And we saw this last year, just the on-off differential is wild because the Blazers sucked defensively for most of the year. The minutes that Yusuf Nurkic was on the court, they were an above average defensive team. He is so important to what they do defensively that I hope this season, you know, Rocco is still there. I don't know if he'll play a ton of minutes with Larry Nance Jr. That would be interesting to watch, I guess. Like, can you trust the guys behind you more? Or can the coach get the guys moving behind you more that you don't feel this need to, like, if someone does get by you because you're not right by the basket that you need to to try and reach in or just give one of those ticky-tack fouls? Um, because, again, he's just – he's pivotal to their defense still, even with the changes that they've made this offseason. So one more thing about Yusuf Nurkic is that he's not great at finishing at the rim and once those little flip up shots and having guys that he has confidence that he could dish it off to, or having him be somehow clear, you know, helping it, it goes, it sounds backwards, but helping clear the lane for some of these younger athletic guys that we have who like to come in and dunk. I don't know if he's, you know, in the lane and then he steps out to give them the space, but rather than trying to have him force making shots close to the rim, which he's just not great at. Like it's just for some reason, he's just not great at it. Figure out ways that he can creatively make opportunities for the other guys who are, who do like 
who do finish the rim to have a chance to do. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's another issue with him that I think we could turn into a a positive potentially. It's time for the question I've asked you. I think every single podcast appearance you've made on this show since Anthony Simons went nuclear in his rookie season against the Sacramento Kings to close out the year. Do you see him actually getting a bigger role this year? Or is there a chance that now that you have Norm, in addition to CJ and Dame, that that's almost the nail in the coffin for his chance to play like a major role for this team? Well, the Blazers keep saying that this is going to be Anthony Simons' year. And then they have like five guards on the (laughs) roster and invited to training camp. So it's like, it's hard to know. Um, I think Anthony every, like we forget sometimes how young he was when he got to the team and the fact that he didn't have college playing experience. He came right from high school. So they've been, I, I like how they've brought him a lot along very gently and every year he does look bigger and stronger. And I do think that he has potential this year to step in and taking on a much bigger role. Like according to the traditional Blazers timeline, this is the year that he's going to get a lot of playing time and it's kind of his to lose, you know, that's just the way that they bring people along. So yeah, if he's not in there, it's cause he, you know, he lost it out to somebody else, not necessarily because somebody else took it from him. That makes sense. No, that makes a hundred. Uh, I'm, I'm totally with you. And I think I just haven't seen, and you watch him way more than I do, but I just haven't seen enough growth as a decision maker when he's not shooting, like to get, keep the ball moving or to, to actually set up teammates rather than you mentioned it the, this podcast, rather than just passing just to pass, there's like a difference between passing guys open or actually finding open players. And the other thing, if he's not going to be like that secondary playmaker, there needs to be like more levels than his off the dribble shooting, better finishing around the rim, something. And I do, my guess would be that it's harder for him to get there. Like the pressure on him might be, like there should be zero pressure because of all the guards they have with Norm, Dame, and CJ. But it's like those guys are going to eat up so many minutes. I guess maybe Norm playing the three will help. I just, I might, I'm, I'm not out on Anthony Simons. I might be out on the idea, the initial idea of Anthony Simons. Yeah, I think that with the the second unit, if they can do, you know. Maybe the first unit continues to do the isolation like they've always done because it's always really, really worked well. And maybe that second unit is the one where we see more of the ball movement from the than we have in the past. Because before it was he, you know, he threw it to Mello, who most likely was going to take a shot, or he threw it to Ennis Cantor, who most likely was going to take a shot. And maybe if he has more people who are moving the ball around, I would love to see Anthony Simons as somebody who is passing it into somebody moving and then getting the ball back to take his shot. I would love to see more plays like that. Cause I think he's so good at catch and shoot that, you know, if he's bringing the ball up, setting up the play, giving it off to somebody else, and then running into the spot like CJ does, I think that would be a really awesome role for Anthony. So rather than just like having him be like isolate, bring it up either to your own shot or pass it to somebody else to get their shot to having him start, start plays that may end up with the ball back in his hands with a catch and shoot. I think that would be exciting. Someone else who's generating a lot of buzz around Blazers training camp right now. Maybe it's in part because he's healthy, which has been very rare for him. Nasir Little, what does, as, and I don't think that I've seen enough of him over the course of his career to have a feel for what he is as a player. What does he, what type, do you see him playing a role this year if he's healthy? What does he bring to the team if he's healthy? I think that Nas has a chance to earn some serious playing time this season. And 
I also have not seen really enough of him to know what we've got, but I think that he has potential. He is not afraid of attacking the rim and having somebody else who's not afraid of attacking the rim, I think is really important because, you know, we have Dame, we have Norm, but I think we need more. And you were just, you, you just mentioned that, you know, you don't see Anthony Simons doing that very much. Nas is not afraid to do that. And I think if he can consistently do that when he gets in and uh, threaten that way, I think that will give him a, a chance to play. I'm, I'm hoping he stays healthy because I would love, and I think he really would help. He's another guy that I think could help them defensively too, in the scheme of what they would be trying to do. When you look at the positional spectrum, he might cover. And he's just from reading the story, I think, uh, I don't want to forget his name from the athletic Jonathan quick. I think his name is wrote it about what Monsieur little went through with COVID It's just like, like that Jason stuff always. Quick, yeah. Yeah. Jason quick. Sorry. That, that stuff always hits obviously, but just that knowing he's dealt with the injuries and just hasn't had a chance to play much. I'm hoping that he gets to stay healthy and we get to get just a real extensive look at him this year. Yeah. I have, I have high hopes for him. I think he's exciting and he's one of those players that, you know, we haven't been able to see much, but his injuries are, his injuries were like kind of different injuries. He had COVID and he had a concussion, I think was the other one. So it's, you know, it's kind of an, an odd combination that really is like, we really know nothing, you know, cause it wasn't like he had like a limb where we can be like, Oh, I understand. You know, he broke his arm and, or his leg. And so we kind of know how players come back from that. This is like, I don't know how players come back, especially if they had such a terrible case of COVID. Like, is he still having effects of it? I don't know. He seems like he's playing really well and everybody's really excited about what they're seeing in playing camp. So, you know, in the, in the blazer trajectory, he's at the point where not like Anthony, where it's like his to lose Nas is the, he has a real chance to show that he deserves to be on the court. We, I guess we already got into this a little bit, but let me just bring it up again. Portland was 29th in points allowed per 100 possessions. So almost quite literally, there's nowhere for them to go put up, but do you anticipate based off some of the things we already discussed, obviously them being much better, or is there one area of the game where they struggled on defense and they, they struggled in a lot of places on defense last year um, that you do expect them to be noticeably better in? I mean, I think the obvious places are that when Nurkic was out, Cantor had to start. And as a result, Robert Covington had to play defense for two. So every time Robert Covington only has to play defense for Robert Covington, that's a really good thing. And we've seen that, you know, with their starting lineup. And then the other thing is just with the bench. I think the bench is going to have going to be much more solid on, on defense and that's going to improve things. I have a joke with my friends who are Kings fans that both the Kings fan, the Kings and the Blazers are aiming for 20. Like if you could just get to 20, <laughs> I think that, you know, with the offense that they have just get to 20 and stay there and be consistent with it. Not just like zero, you know, 29 and then go, you know, rock it up to like 10 for the last 15 games or whatever, just get to 20 and be happy with that. Your offense can carry the rest of the way. I'm probably with you there. I'm curious too. And I don't know what Chauncey Billups is going to be like as a coach, but I'm, I'm wondering if they might implement a more, and I haven't seen seen anything about this coming out of training camp, whether they might, install a more aggressive style where like, can they play make on defense more for some more turnovers and maybe their offense doesn't need it. But like, if you can just change, if you could, if you can change the flow of the game by getting out and transition more, just forcing more turnovers and maybe that helps you cover up some other weaknesses on defense. I honestly, I have 
I'm not the person to ask about that, but that's sort of the area I'm looking at because when I look at this team, I saw so many holes last year. I'm not sure how much better you get with Larry Nance and, you know, a healthy Nas um, having a full year of Norman Powell. Maybe you can just get organically a lot better in those set positions, but if you can't, a way to cover that up, especially when, you know, you're not really experts and not fouling anyway. Like if Nurkic is going to foul a ton or if you're going to commit a bunch of fouls anyway, like maybe try and play a more aggressive style that allows you to do that. I have zero idea, but I'm very curious to see if they look noticeably different on that end of the floor this year. Yeah, I I do know that at a training camp, the word is that they're not going to be doing drop coverage anymore. So that's a big change. And I don't know how, if, if they're going to start the year like that, if they're going to be able to maintain it, if they're going to, are they going to be able to like maintain any of these new things that they're, that they're implementing? So I just, I think a, a big thing is going to be Robert Covington being able to be Robert Covington, not having to be both, you know, fill both defensive spots. What do you view as the biggest weakness of this team right now when you're looking at their roster? The backup center. I mean, if Nurkic gets in foul trouble, so then, you know, I think Cody's totally capable of playing starter minutes if he has to because Nurkic has gotten in early foul trouble. But what if one of those guys gets injured? And there's just, are they going to like just run a small ball lineup? What are they going to do? I just really wish that they had a backup center. And um, I know that... Marquise Chris isn't big, but he's got more, he's got some experience in that role. So, but I don't think, I don't know who they're going to choose out of training camp. It's really weird. They have like four real NBA, like very experienced NBA players fighting for that last spot, which I think is like kind of weird, but we'll see. Yeah. Who's so they've Patrick Patterson, Dennis Smith, um, Marquise Chris. Who's the other one? I'm missing somebody obvious. Can't remember. Um, uh patrick what did you say patrick oh quinn cook oh okay yeah so did you say quinn cook yeah i did not say quinn cook well yeah so there i'd be curious i might feel it's funny that i had mentioned there how it feels like they have more maybe not more but like there's measurable talent behind their starters or their main six guys Um, but there's also like a lot of questions there too and so i look at the backup center role and i'm like if you view it as just cody zeller and nurkic then yes if maybe you're willing to play smaller and there's like Nance in there or is, does Nas get some minutes there? Or is it like Roco? Like maybe it's all three of them or like two of them are playing together and they're switching it up. I don't know if that makes me feel a lot better, but I'm wondering when you look at their roster, if it's Patrick Patterson who doesn't make it, or if Marquise Chris doesn't get that roster spot, like you're going to be playing small at points just because you don't have any other alternative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There apparently we're going to see, uh, we're, we're going to be seeing some of that. And, uh, you know, it was, it was also, you know, earlier on in the summer when there was a lot more talk about potential big trades happening, they were like, Oh, they're loading up on guards because CJ is going to be gone and they're going to have to figure out who's going to take that role. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I just, they just need another tall person, like really tall person. And you know what? Possibly Greg Brown. I mean, Greg Brown is still, I think only six, nine. So yeah, I don't know. I just wish they had another, like I said, another tall person. They gotta be high. They like gave up stuff for to draft Greg Brown too. So maybe they really like him. That was I remember going over our off seat like a uh, I was doing report cards and I was going over the Blazers and I was like, oh, they they might be higher on Greg Brown than I think anyone sort of realized. But yeah, I'd be with you on the backup center role. Um, who is this can change throughout the season, and I'm not even trying to you know f- force you into talking more about Damian Lillard. Who do you just look at 
on this roster is the player most likely to be traded this year? I mean, to try to look at it, you know, realistically, I was looking at players who have contracts that are reasonable to be traded. So Robert Covington, you know, he's in the last year of his, he's making almost 13 million. Yusuf Nurkic also in the last year of his contract with 12. I don't think they can trade Larry for a while, but I think it's going to be one of those, you know, it's somebody who makes more than $3 million and less than $30 million. <laughs> Let's just say, <laughs> I would say Robert Covington, because soon enough, we're going to start hearing that. Well, you can't let him walk away for nothing. So, and I think, you know, a Robert Covington salary, that, that is a, that's a reasonable one because it's like, if it turns out that they start playing and there is like one obvious weakness, that's not like bring in a third star, but like, oh no, somebody's injured. We really do need this role filled. I think Robert Covington or possibly Yusuf Nurkic. I'm really worried about Yusuf Nurkic. I'm excited for the potential of Yusuf Nurkic being in a contract year. Um, but I'm also worried that if he leaves or even gets traded in the middle of the season, that he's just going to absolutely go scorched earth <laughs> if, he, if he leaves. So I'm really nervous about use of Nurkic this year. Um, and I think it's potential that because like how much money he's with clutch, how much money is he going to want next year? And are the Blazers going to be able to afford it? So I think by the middle of the season, they'll have a good idea about whether or not they're going to have to try to trade Yusuf Nurkic to make sure that they get a player in return who can help out the team rather than just watch him walk away because they can't afford to resign him because I don't know how they're going to afford to resign him. That's a, I didn't give a lot of thought to Nurkic. I guess I'm just like, I don't want to say I'm biased against bigs at this point, but that, that is a fantastic point you bring up about Nurkic. Contract year represented by Clutch, so that's a name that I think could pop up. I think you mentioned Rocco. I think he's probably the player, aside from Dame, that other teams would be most interested in. If I am, and just in case you were wondering whether or not I took your opinion seriously, if you ever doubt it, you had told me on the last podcast that you think Robert Covington was better individually as a defender last year than I gave him credit for. So I went back and watched some stuff like a few, it was a few days or weeks after that. And I'm looking at what's happening on the court. Robert Covington was just way overtaxed last year because there wasn't enough talent around him. And so you were just right. And I was too hard on him because I wasn't looking at the surrounding parts closer enough. Um, hashtag national analyst choppering in for one Blazers game at a time and trying to draw opinions <laughs> from that. What a dumbass. That's a very long hashtag. So I do take your, I do value your opinion in case there was any doubt there. If I'm the Blazers, this is going to be offbeat. I might look at trading Norman Powell this year if you want to keep the Dame CJ thing together because, and go with me for just a second here. What, what Philly, I don't think trades Ben Simmons before December 15th when all these guys, most of these guys that sign contracts in the offseason can be dealt. If they're really painted into a corner, like they might have to accept a package where they're not using Ben Simmons to get another star. And I know people have looked at that, okay, well, the CJ for Ben framework and offensively, CJ would make more sense for them. Norman Powell can do things for you on defense. He's cheaper to where the Blazers then do include other stuff. Like maybe you're, that's where the deal you're getting Rocco. That's the deal where you're getting Larry Nance and then picks. And it feels like maybe there's another situation. Maybe it's not necessarily Ben Simmons, but they can push their chips all in without actually giving up CJ. And I don't know that that's been talked about enough because I do feel like people are reticent to be like, well, they just traded for this dude. But if you put Norman Powell with picks and even if you have to attach one of the other mid-end salaries you referenced if it's a for a certain team it could be Nurkic it could be Nance it could be Rocco because the you know Nance and Rocco are more plug and play 
maybe I don't know who the player is, but I'm saying maybe that's a scenario that's on the table. That's also my way of saying that I honestly don't expect anything seismic to happen with this roster this year. Although the Nurkic thing, I didn't give enough thought to. That was you, you like hit that. I'm like, now I'm going to be thinking about that for days now. That just never even crossed my mind. Welcome to my world and worrying about <laughs> use of Nurkic and clutch sports. I didn't, I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, I didn't say Norman Powell because I knew that he had just signed this, this big gigantic five year. And, and I like, don't they have to wait a little while before they can be traded, but they can definitely be traded before the trade deadline. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And I think you make an excellent point. Um, I've actually thought about that. And I thought it was like too out there to like speak. <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad that you brought it up um, because that's the, the other thing is bringing, this is my conspiracy theory brain, bringing in all these guys for a training camp. And even those guys that they brought on for summer league to take like long looks at, should they need to package up multiple players in order to trade for Ben Simmons? They're going to have to fill some roster spots, you know, because it'll take in order to get, you know, if not CJ, they're going to have to like, you know, package multiple players together in order to reach that threshold and then they'll have some holes and if there's some guys that they've taken a look at that they know that should this thing happen they could bring in because they're already familiar with the team they've already been through training camp I don't know that's like my uh my conspiracy brain thinking but you know I don't think it's impossible at all yeah and look maybe it's not even a big one like it's just every all sorts of shit develops during the season it could just be that I look at that Norman Powell number and I'm like it's not five and 90 seems like so much, but if he's still playing well in the middle of the year, that deal is from a team perspective. I want all players to get paid all money world. I always want to make that clear, but from a team perspective, that deal's fine. And so if you're the Blazers and you don't want to go nuclear, but like you still want to make sort of a semi significant move. So I'm just, I'm looking at him, but like I said, I'm going to be thinking about Yusuf Nurkic his future for days now, because I don't know how I didn't give that any consideration. Um, these are cookie cutter questions that I ask on all of our look aheads, but they're some of my, I, I enjoy asking them the most. Um, what do you think is going to be this team's go-to crunch time lineup? And I know they're like most teams, they are built to change it up based on the matchup. But if you had to predict like their most used or what you think is going to be their most effective go-to lineup down the stretch of close games, what would it be? I mean, I think it'll most likely be the starting lineup with the caveat that if uh, use of Nurkic is in foul trouble or fouled out, or sometimes CJ sometimes struggles with hitting those late free throws. So I think it might be possible that they have, um, you know, some like a shooter in there, like Anthony might be in there. Like if they just need somebody who can shoot that they know that if they can, um, and who can is also, I don't, it's just weird. Like it always surprises me. I'm like, CJ, like he's such a good free throw shooter, but sometimes in those crunch time minutes, I don't know. I haven't looked at it recently on what they say. Yeah. I don't know. To say that CJ wouldn't be in is a little ridiculous. I'm, I'm hearing that now, but I, I pretty much think it's going to be the starting lineup. It used to be like mellow would be on because they would want a shooter. Um, so I think there's a possibility that if they want a shooter, then somebody else will be in there. Look, um, this is I looked up the CJ free throw stuff from last season. He only took one free throw in the clutch last year and he made it. But maybe the fact that he only took one free throw is is kind of the problem. Or no, I'm looking at a different filter for it. Hold on, let me unfilter this very quickly. Oh no, you'll find out how wrong I am. One, no, no, you're right. One of three from the foul line in crunch time last year. That is not it's only three free throws, but that's not great, Bob. He doesn't get to the line very much, right. just in general. And um yeah. 
I so I think they have four givens where to me it's Roko, Norm, CJ, and Dame. But now that you mentioned like the shooting element of it, I get to me you can't. Yeah, I think it's four guaranteed one just because you can futz and fiddle, I guess, with the center spot. The other guy to pull if you need more shooting would probably be Roko, and I just think he's too valuable to your defense to even entertain the idea of not closing with him. Yeah, he gets those deflections, he gets those steals. What I'm hoping for, hoping for, is more transition. You know, because Rocco gets all those steals, but they were, they just, I feel like they had a hard time converting on them last, last season. Is there a quirky lineup that if you were the head coach, you would roll out just to see, just to see what would happen? Absolutely. I always love the young player lineups. Like in in the, in the past, they had a lineup that I used to call the pink shoe shift because it was one time they all three wore pink shoes and it was Gary (laughs) Trent, Ben Simmons or Ben, uh, Ben Simmons, sorry, Anthony Simons. It was Gary Trent Jr., Anthony Simons and, and Nas Little. I love when the young guys get run. Um, but of course, Gary has moved on. And uh, so that's not going to happen. I absolutely want to see Greg Brown in the game because I want to see if we're going to get another in-game East Bay dunk. I don't know if you saw that at Summer League. I did not. He did it in-game underneath the legs between the legs dunk like greg brown is serious when it comes and i want that i want all the greg brown minutes that i can get i hope i get them because the blazers are in a blowout situation and they're going to throw out greg brown to just do something fun but i really want to see him in the game you have talked about in the past though that when players reach the big league club for the blazers they kind of forget how to dunk exhibit a absolutely would be Derek jones jr (laughs) oh yeah okay Last year, last season, the Blazers had a total of 183 dunks dead last. Rudy Gobert had 231 and the Blazers combined for 183. So I, yes, that is absolutely what happens with the former coach. This is where I have an uh, open that where I'm keeping an open mind. Maybe this coach will be like, dunk all you want. Let's, let's get it. Like my, if my, all my dreams came true, this team would totally turn into like, they would just turn on the dunking because they have, you know, dunk championships. They had two slam dunk championships last year and absolutely came in dead last in dunks. Like that's not right. (laughs) So my dream is that they're just unleashing dunks all over the place. They're throwing alley-oops. And maybe that's another thing that Nurkic does. Maybe he's, throwing alley-oops from the elbow how fun would that be so yeah my my dream is that they'll just unleash the dunks all over everybody's head but that's a dream that's why they need to give the last roster spot to either dennis smith or uh marquis chris just to have that extra bounce so that they can get tara more dunks that needs to go into the to the calculus i don't know why i come into every season with such high hopes on that but you know maybe like i said new coach new new styles hey guys go out there and just I don't know if it's because it's too crowded. Why, why do you think a team would not dunk when they have good dunkers on it? I'm sure a lot of it is just like when you're in the half court, the way that their offense goes is not really conducive to getting those. So you would have to rely on forcing turnovers on defense, which they did not do, um, or just getting out in transition a bunch, which, hey, they also did not do. That would, be, that would be my theory. But it was funny when you mentioned it, just because like Derek Jones Jr. goes from this, like he's still electric, but like he would try to dunk every other possession uh, when he was in Miami. And then you just go into Portland and he's just like, he felt just so like muted 
on offense relative to what he did in the past. So maybe there's something going on there. We'll see if the coaching change uh, warps that or, you know, changes that. Let's see if the coaching change changes that as I use back to back (laughs) same words. So, but yeah, it's, I never even thought about that until you mentioned, you were talking about Derek Jones Jr. I think in the middle of last year with me. And that made me think like, yeah, the Blazers are just jinxing all these good dunkers. I know, I know. And I just hope that maybe it's just, you know, new style for, you know, forcing more, like you said, forcing more turnovers, allowing more for transition. One of the things that Blazer fans have been talking about for a long time is somebody who can throw alley-oops. You know, we miss Andre Miller and his beautiful, he was such a great alley-oop thrower. And everyone's like, Dame should be able to throw alley-oops. And I'm like, if Dame is out there, the ball is going in. Like he's not throwing it to somebody else so that they can throw it in. Like when Dame is like, you know, shooting from out there, just shoot it. Like there's no reason for Dame to throw an alley-oop. So I have like, I would love it if like Nurkic was good at it or maybe Larry Nance Jr. will be good at it. Maybe Cody Zeller will be at it. Maybe he'll be out there and, you know, see opportunities for it. So I'm, I, all this is to say that I don't look to Damian Lord to being the star alley-oop thrower because if it's in his hands, just throw it in and get three. Why would you alley-oop it to get two? The other thing is like, have they given him like a traditional lob? Th- like he played with LaMarcus, Robin Lopez, Nurkic. Like I, they had Hassan Whiteside for a minute, but like that's, you can't, you know, so I just like, have they given him like, I think Larry Nance Jr. might be the first legitimate one he's had. And I know he's not like the best, he's not JaVale McGee our, you know, podcast favorite, JaVale McKee. But like, you know, I, I'm with you on what you're saying. Like Dame doesn't need to do that, but he also hasn't had like the big men who would do that for the most part anyway. Yeah, and I don't, doesn't need to be big man. I mean, you had Derek Jones right there. <laughs> like that would require more offensive innovation than I think the Blazers were ready for, <laughs> at least. So I have two lineups. I couldn't decide between them that I would just love to see that I don't think they would try. You mentioned the three guard lineup somewhere in the beginning of this podcast, give me the four guard lineup. I want Norm, Dame, CJ, and Anthony Simons playing with Larry Nance Jr. at the five. I don't care if you give up a trillion points. I think that, I think that offense would hum. The other one I was looking at is give me Dame and then all like the big, I'll call them positionless guys. I want Dame, Tony Snell, Nas, um, Larry Nance Jr., and Robert Covington on the floor. You can sub out like one of those guys for Norman Powell because he's kind of a wing, but I want the bigger wings who could arguably be positionless. Uh, I don't think any of them can defend point guards in that lineup, including Damian Lillard. So maybe that's why you want Norman Powell, but I just want to see one of those two lineups just for a few possessions this season. I don't know that they'll ever try the four guard lineup, but that just seems like a no brainer. You're already going to play three of them to start throw the fourth one in. Oh, absolutely. I'm all for the four guard lineup. I mean, they, everybody else is running out the three guard lineup now. Why not like, you know, innovate something else. I, you, you know, me too. I am all for trying. I just want something different. I just want something that's interesting to look at. So I don't care. I love the idea of all these positionless guys, like figuring it out, you know, that's the soccer, you know, the soccer player, when everybody gets scrambled and ends up in different parts of the field and they have to like take on some new and creative role. Why not? Let's see it. As we record this, the Blazers win total is set at 44.5. Would you take the over or the under on that? And where do you sort of, you know, from your view, see them stacking up in the, what is people have argued it's a weaker Western conference is still a very wild Western conference where it feels like there are like eight teams that are interchangeable one through eight. I would take the over partly because 
the Blazers always make the over. Um, and also because I think the team has a, a lot to prove this year. I think they're going to be on a mission to prove some things. And so 44 and a half wins does not prove anything. Fit, uh, 45 wins doesn't prove anything. 50 wins, 50 wins proves something. So I think I would definitely take the over. I think they, you know, the introduction of the new coach was rough. And I think these guys are going to really, really, really want to play well for him and make it, you know, a good debut for a first year coach. I think Dame has a lot to prove. Yusuf Nurkic is on a contract year. Robert Covington is on a contract year. Anthony Simons has not had his extended yet, but I think a lot of guys have a lot to prove, especially at that end of the year. So I think they're going to, like they always been in the top four. I would love to see them get home court advantage. I think that they can do it. I'm going to reluctantly take the over. And I've been going over way too much on this podcast. When I actually do my our over under podcast, I'm going to need to reevaluate some of my decisions. <laughs> I guess I get caught up in diving too deep into teams and loving them apparently. But what would concern me is just that we talk about backup center being an issue, but when you sort of look at their four or five rotation and you're relying on Nurkic, Larry Nance Jr. and Cody Zeller all to remain healthy, uh, there's a potential for like some minutes to get blown up there. And so that would be my concern. But as we've already talked about, because I don't expect expect anything huge to happen with this roster uh, in the middle of the season, it feels like a very, you know, it feels like a very easy over for them to clear. Like I could, I don't, maybe they don't win 50 games, but I could see this team being a 49 win team just as is very easily in this, in the current Western conference landscape. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree. I don't know how everybody's going to make the over, but <laughs> every team is going to make the over. I had a few but, unders, but I have picked a lot of overs. So I'm going to need to go back and we'll see who gets uh, who gets screwed over from my my relentless optimism when I do the single team podcast, apparently. Well, that's what we love about the beginning of the season is everybody's hopes are hopes are never higher, right? And, and until we see what it actually looks like, we don't have any reason to think it wouldn't work. I mean, I don't know. I, also, just let me say, it's incredible all the work that you've been doing, putting out all these previews because they are all deep and they are all so thoughtful. I am amazed at how much knowledge you have about all the different teams that you can have like a discussion about every single team. How do you do it? It's amazing. I appreciate the kind words. And it's a lot easier when you can just ride the coattails of every single guest that you bring on. So all the guests have been fantastic, including yourself, rely on you. It's funny when you're like, you could bring on someone else to talk about the Blazers if you want. And I'm like, no, I would never want to talk to anybody else about the Blazers <laughs> other than Tara. Uh, did I not ask anything about this team or a specific player, that, anything at all that you think needs to be discussed? I think that I really covered everything that I wanted to talk about, but I really think you need to go watch Greg Brown's in-game uh between the legs, East Bay dunk. It was I also, amazing. I'm you need to need watch you to that watch that summer league highlight. I'm also going to need you to send me that video of Damian Lillard getting hit by pool noodles or whatever it is. I've never seen that. So oh, I'm yeah. I, I was just going to say, I wrote that in the con. I, I found that uh, Damian Lillard uh, clip, or I revisited that Damian Lillard clip in the context one time when I was writing an article about him being a storyteller and about how with the... Uh, the in that playoff run that they made like the first shot against that he took way from the way outside over Russell Westbrook to start the Oklahoma city th series, as well as the one over Paul George to end it was just an example of how Damian Lillard 
never just does. It's always a part of a story arc. It's just always a part of like, that's just how, who Damien Lillard is. And that's why I said, like, you know, if I could reiterate anything, his story in Portland is not over and he will not leave Portland until his story is over. Tara, are you able to tell our listeners where they can follow you on social media and where they can consume your podcast and all the great work that you put out? Yeah, so I'm mostly on Twitter and my Twitter handle is at T-C-B-B-I-G-G-S, which I'm I'm just absolutely stuck with that one because, and everybody always gets it wrong. So you can also search for Team Mom. Um, I will also often show up there if you just put in Team Mom. And uh, so two podcasts, one is called We Have a Take and I do that with my friend Cassidy Gamet and we talk about Blazers stuff and go off the deep end sometimes like discuss the Blazers and why it's like The Bachelor. We also had a Below Deck episode. Um, and then on my other podcast is the setback sisterhood that i do with janelle moore amber vickers and Britt robatista and uh they're amazing women that everybody should check out and yeah i'm gonna be following uh recording that later on this afternoon and you can follow we have a take at we have a take and the step back sisterhood at step back sisters so thank you so much for having me on dan i really appreciate it i want to reiterate that the we have a take podcast especially is i said it already is a breath of fresh air um, you guys talk about basketball, obviously, but like the, you know, where are you going to get a dramatic reading of Marquise Chris's Wikipedia page? It's that we have a take. So I enjoy, you know, talk. I learned about Norman Powell's puppies from that podcast as well. So you guys are just able to mix like escapism into it. I love it. I try to listen to it as I don't catch every episode admittedly, but I try to listen to it as much as, as possible. So please keep putting out that content for us. And once more, Thank you again for your time and insight. And you know by now that I will come a call in again at some point. 